joining us. We're really excited to have Sama Al Hamdani stay with us following our event, talking about a lot of the current crises in the Gulf. And so we're just going to kind of follow up on a lot of the points that you made during the event. But again, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. It was a pleasure and it was important for me to speak at such a reputable and amazing uh, home in the District of Columbia. We were really happy to be able to amplify, as I mentioned earlier, amplify a perspective that we don't often get to hear. So we're here at the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies at Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that we wanted to kind of hear more from you about is the tendency for a lot of these institutions in which we're having conversations about crises in the Arab world and contemporary Arab world specifically, that often Yemen is left out of those discourses. The reason that... Yemen is not uh, addressed directly is because the conversation is about Yemen is hijacked it's hijacked into either a proxy war so it's either you know it's a proxy war there and some factions are pro Saudi Arabia and others are pro Iran which I think really downplays what's going on in Yemen and reduces the country as a whole into being just one side versus the other and that's not fair to Yemenis who are at this point 29 million individuals it's also due to lack of understanding of Yemen. Yemen is a remote country that a lot of people in the West uh, don't visit. They don't hear about it. They're not familiar with it. And so to understand it, what they do is they compare it to neighboring countries. And I think they struggle with that because Yemen is not like Saudi Arabia entirely because they don't have the amount of wealth that Saudi Arabia has. They're not like their, their Gulf neighbors because their economy is really bad. And they're not like uh, the Levant area they're not like Jordan or Lebanon because they don't have their experience, and they're also not like Egypt because they're very remote from that. But Yemen continues to be important because of its geographical location. It is a big country. It's a land with, again, a lot of individuals. And they continue to be influenced by the politics that are happening in the region. So Yemen geographically is important. Uh, to have influence there is important. I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia is very scared of Iranian influence there because it allows access to Saudi Arabia. I think we're going to continue to see some sort of misunderstanding about Yemen unless, you know, authors put real effort into understanding it. And there are some people out there who have been explaining and putting a lot of effort into understanding what Yemen is. I would say the New York Times, The Guardian, and some other websites do a decent job covering Yemen. I would say there isn't enough coverage. And by that I mean that there's so much going on in the world that how do you dedicate uh, how much you mention in Yemen. Now the problem with Yemen is, is that what they're facing today is a massive humanitarian crisis. That's what needs our attention in the world the most. So we have, you know, 29 million people and then we have more than half, I would say 70% of the population right now is in dire need of food assistance. 18%. Uh, 18 million people, which is, again, a huge number from the 29 million, don't have access to clean water or sanitation. So as humanity, as, as humans, we need to kind of look at that uh, and, and try to do something about it. But at the same time, it seems that, you know, we have the statistics, we've been telling people that this is going to happen, and it keeps going worse. But ultimately, I think political actors and writers understand that the solution to this ultimately comes down to the Saudi Arabian will for, for Yemen. What do they want to happen in Yemen? They have a lot of control in saying what happens there. 
Right, and you mentioned kind of the humanitarian crisis and all of these different components, because you mentioned, for example, lack of sanitation and access to clean water, which has been a huge reason why cholera has been so devastating and widespread. I wonder if you can talk about how that's exacerbated by the fact that a lot of internally displaced persons and refugees can't actually freely move to find a location in which they might have better chances of accessing those needed resources and care. Sure. So water in Yemen has always been a problem. When I lived there, it was really hard to get clean water. And a lot of times as a child, we resorted to boiling massive amounts of water in pots to make sure that they are clean uh, before we drink them. And so it's always kind of been a problem, but it was one that the country was working on fixing. Uh, So you don't expect the country to take such a downturn in, in whatever they were improving on. And so Water has always been an issue, not just because of the sanitation, but because we also don't have water in Yemen. Uh, the capital, Sana'a, was projected to run out of water, and they actually said that by 2020, it would be the first capital in the world to be out of water. Luckily, we've been somehow, you know, uh, pushing the state back five years, five years, every five years. But at the same time, it just shows you the dire situation that the people are living in. If If you don't have access to clean water then what happens from there, since water is the source of life, as, you know, in Arabic, it's the asas al-haya, you know. Uh, and then it's it's a problem because Yemenis are not refugees the same way that Syrians are refugees, right? There, there aren't countries that are willing to host Yemenis. And so a lot of Yemenis flee for medical reasons. A lot of the refugee populations actually exist in pockets in Egypt, in Jordan, in Djibouti, And then you have, which is kind of ironic because people from Djibouti and Somalia would flee from their own countries to Yemen to then kind of transition somewhere else. But now you have this reverse refugee operation kind of going back to these countries that people were escaping from. And so you have that. But the the biggest crisis of all is the internally displaced people because there's nowhere for them to go. They're... There aren't specific buildings that are set up or mechanisms in place to host these people. Uh, no international agency has has been able to fully control what happens with these IDPs. Some have attempted to go back to their homes but failed to do so uh, successfully. A lot of people had to just leave either from fighting or uh, bombing or invasions. And so generally speaking, those people are the ones that deserve our attention the most because we don't know what their experience is like. There's nothing there to help them, and they're in constant movement. And statistically speaking, those IDPs tend to be, the majority of them tend to be young girls. So it's, you know, as a woman, it's terrifying to think that the majority of those are young girls who will then grow up to be women who just right off the bat don't have a future. I find this really interesting, too, in that... I find that given the situation and how dire it's become, and especially how many youth have been so adversely impacted by this, that we've also seen this use of really interesting media as a way to amplify the Yemeni experience, both on the ground and in the diaspora, especially for those who are in the diaspora and not by choice. Mm -hmm. And so you had written a few years ago about art uh, as a way to kind of 
get that that narrative out there. And I, I wonder perhaps if you can speak to that that angle of using art, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's graffiti on walls, or whatever kind of media, <clears throat> whatever kind of media exists. How how people have used that as a means of resistance. I think first of all, that's an excellent question, and that's something that we don't look at enough. There are a lot of Yemeni artists still trying to pursue their art. Uh, the article that I wrote about before was about Murad Subaya and him trying to remember um, missing individuals by painting stencils of their faces and names so that we don't forget them. I would say that Murad and other artists like him have since lessened their activities because it's really threatening for them to do any kind of political art work. So the realities of this are going to be different based on what part of Yemen you're from. Uh, if you are in the south, you would have kind of an easier time walking around with camera, but you're bound to go anywhere and people will ask you, why do you have a camera? Why are you filming? You're not allowed to film. Can you see the film that you have? A lot of my friends who are journalists and um, filmmakers, they would have their tapes kind of removed. Um, there's a Yemeni director by the name of Sara Ishaq who filmed a lot of the first part of the war in Yemen. And then she moved on to Egypt where she, after filming what happened in the war, uh, suffered slightly with um, post-traumatic stress disorder based on her experience. I'm not sure what's happening with that film, but I feel that a lot of people would not want that film to come out because this is still an active warfare zone. Until there are clear losers and winners, everybody who's involved in this war is going to make sure that artists and writers and thinkers are silenced. Um, in the north of Yemen, you have absolute Houthi control, and ever since the, after since they killed former President Ali Abdullah Saleh, you have them highly cautious and paranoid of everything that is going on around them. They're afraid of betrayal, and it's come to the point where they even uh, listen in on phone calls. They check houses if needs be. And so if you're an artist living there, it's hard for you to have that freedom of speech, of expression, when you're constantly being silent from each side. You know, ultimately you have this going on on the ground, but then on a larger level, even if you're in the diaspora, if you express a point of view that is not satisfactory, let's say to the Arab coalition or to the legitimate government of Yemen that's based in Riyadh or to the native population that, you know, you're, let's say that you are um, now in the diaspora and you belong to a community that's in Virginia and your community doesn't agree with you, you will then find harassment in the sense that, oh, you must be working for so-and-so and, oh, you must be working for so-and-so to say this. And so I think for artists, it's a really hard time, but I have no doubt that artists are continuing to express themselves one way or another. Um, artists, again, are extremely sensitive people, and I, not just artists, but generally speaking, when I talk to people on the ground, there's that, just that sense of depression, and, and at the same time, depression, but at the same time, wanting and, and hoping, and almost in the back of their minds, knowing that it has to get better. It somehow has to get better. I think that the role of the international community and organizations around the world need to protect these people. They need to allow them to participate uh, in what's going on because ultimately they're not political actors. So they're going to look at it differently and, and their assessment might be even fairer and more human than that of anybody else. Well, in closing, I think perhaps this is a really good opportunity to then 
tell our, our viewers and our audience here in the United States, in the Washington, D.C. area, and other parts of the United States and the globe, how they can be involved. What can they do, um, whether it's in their schools or in their programs and their social justice organizing? How can people work to amplify the perspectives that you've just you've spoken about um, and kind of make sure that Yemen is not forgotten and that the plight of Yemeni people is not forgotten or reduced to some political pawn in a greater scheme? That's a big question. And there are many answers to it. I think everything in the world is starting to operate on a supply and demand basis. If you demand information, people will start writing about it. And so in a sense, I would say, start reading. Read. Uh, don't just have someone that you read for and you follow their ideas. I would say read from all sides and formulate a good understanding of what's going on based on a variety of readings. Unfortunately, when it comes to countries like Yemen that are harder to understand, a lot of people would then find a specific person who they agree with um, on other topics, and then they would take his opinion or her opinion on Yemen and just follow that blindly. I think knowledge is key. Get yourself educated. Know the facts. There are several sources. And then demand information. Uh, demand it either from the state, from your community, Bring it up as a subject. Talk about it. You know, talk about what you read. But ultimately, we're talking about something really big here and something that is out of the hands of the average citizen. Ultimately, to stop the war in Yemen, you would have to have uh, political influence and you would have to have the Saudi uh, approval of it of some sort because it, might, it is my belief that the Saudi government is, is entirely capable to bring this war to an end or to keep it going. Uh, some would say that it's in the hands of the Houthis. And I think that it's in the hands of both of them, of course, but I think that Saudi is, is pretty much in charge. I, I don't know what to say except to, to keep Yemenis in our hearts and minds because they are suffering and they are struggling. This is, this is real. It's not just uh, a remote place that's far away. The people of Yemen, imagine them humans that look just like you. You know, the, the little children look just like your little nephews and nieces. And it's just not a respectable or dignified life that they're living at the moment. And there's nowhere for them to go. And ultimately, it's just, it, it doesn't look good. And I just think humanitarian-wise, that's, you know, politically, you're going to agree and disagree with a lot of people. But one thing is for sure, and that is the people there are suffering. And, and that needs to to come to an end somehow or be elevated at the moment. Well, thank you for elevating those perspectives and for taking the time to sit with us today and join us here at our event. Again, we're here at the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies with Sama Al-Hamdani, and you can follow her at her blog that she founded, yemeniyati.com. There's a lot of great content there, a lot of great resources that you can use to really educate yourselves and learn about what's happening in Yemen and hopefully find a way to get involved. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you.